if you would take your Bibles and turn to Galatians chapter 6. <clears throat> Galatians chapter 6. The plan is for two more messages, including this one, here in the book of Galatians. It's been a, a journey that we started a, a good bit ago, and now we're coming near the end of this book of the Bible. I pray that you've been blessed in our study through this. Um, Lord willing, I will be preaching up here next Sunday. We're on baby watch at our house. It could happen any moment. Um, we had uh, the midwife come to our home and said we're, we're ready to go at, at any moment. So I have Trevor on, on standby. Um, and uh, Lord willing, I'll be here next week and finish up the book of Galatians. And then um, Paul and, and Joel will be preaching for the four weeks following that. So I look forward to that. But hopefully we'll finish Galatians. Otherwise, we'll just postpone it and finish up a little bit later. Um, but we're in Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 through 10, and then we'll look at verses 11 through 18 next next week. Uh, as human beings, I think we have a tendency to grow tired of things somewhat quickly. Something that, that we get very excited about, it, it can slowly fall to the wayside, it becomes forgotten, we're not as excited about it as, as we used to be. Um, maybe it's a piece of exercise equipment. We've seen lots of those. There's lots of garage sales, and maybe you see a treadmill or a, or a thigh master that was gathering dust in the corner. That at one point they were, someone was excited about this, and now the excitement has has waned. Maybe it's a musical instrument. I speak from personal experience that you wanted to learn, and now it's just kind of under the couch, again gathering dust. You were excited about it, and now your excitement has waned, and you're just not using it anymore. Maybe a, a video game that you played that was so exciting and now it's just kind of lost its excitement or a CD that you listen to all the time and now if you pull it off your shelf it just sounds old and tired. Um, or, or kids, maybe it's a, a toy that you got for Christmas that you just loved and were so excited about, maybe even just this past Christmas and now you don't even know where it's at. Um, that's tendency around our house sometimes. Or maybe like me, you have a, a bookshelves filled with books that you have started but never finished. We just get we get weary, we get tired, we lose motivation, we lose heart in things. And if it's true in our everyday life, it's it's true in our Christian life. We we get tired. You know, the Bible reading plan that we started, we were so excited about it. It's just kind of not been touched in a while. Maybe we had plans of seeking to, to love our neighbors, to share the gospel with them, and, and they just never really got off the ground. Um, maybe you used to have family devotions, or you keep saying, we're going to read the Bible together in the evening, and, and you get excited about it, and then it just kind of stops. Maybe you, when you first got married, you said, you know, I want to pray together every evening with my spouse. And, and now you just... You've lost that. It, it didn't. It just happened slowly. You just got weary and well doing. It it just tapered off. Or maybe church attendance coming to to our services. It's just it's just you're just not here as much. It's just it, it happened slowly. You got you got tired. You grew weary of well doing. It's these are subtle things. They they happen slowly. We don't even realize it sometimes, but it, it happens to us all. And so these words from Paul in Galatians. Uh, chapter 6, are really helpful, I think, because he shares this this um, a principle and, and some some encouragement to us. And if I had to say it in a sentence, it would, it would be this. Since we will reap what we sow, 
let us not grow weary in doing good. Since we will reap what we sow, let us not grow weary in doing good. We're going to read this passage of Scripture together, and it breaks down pretty easily into two different parts. We'll look at verses 7 and 8 in this principle of sowing and reaping, and then we're going to look at verses 9 and 10 and think about not growing weary in well-doing. But let's read the passage together, just four verses here in Galatians chapter 6, verse 7. It says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Let us not lose heart in doing good. For in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. So then, While we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. So again, we're going to look at this in two different parts. First, we'll look at verses 7 and 8, and we see just this general principle. We will reap what we sow. We will reap what we sow. He begins this section with with a warning against being deceived. He says we should not be led astray. We should not be misled. We shouldn't be mistaken. Mistaken by what? Uh, Mistaken by the thought that we can do whatever we want with no thought of God and then face no consequences for our actions. He says that we should not be led into thinking that even though God knows our rebellion against Him and our disobedience to his law that he's going to do nothing about it, that our actions, we should not be deceived by the thought that that our actions will have no impact on who we are or on the fruit and the course of our lives. That's to be deceived. And he says to think that way, do not be deceived, God is not mocked. To think that way is to to mock God, to treat him with contempt. The The word at root has has the Greek word for nose, and it literally means to, to turn up your nose at God, to be arrogant and prideful to God. And Paul says that acting in such a way towards God, it's, it's foolishness. He says, he tells us why. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked for, those are one of the, one of the key words as you're reading your Bible, look for those little words, for, because, don't be deceived, God is not mocked, because whatever a man sows, This he will also reap. Paul likes these agricultural illustrations, doesn't he? He goes back to the land, and he he talks about this well-known, it's a really easy-to-understand metaphor. I hope you saw that in our Scripture reading. It's all throughout Scripture, that you will reap what you sow. And so even if you do know gardening or farming, you know that if you plant a watermelon seed, what's going to grow? A watermelon, that's, that's what you get. You will reap what you sow if you sow seeds in a field of of corn or soybeans or or wheat, then you are going to get the crop that you sow. No one plants apple seeds and then harvests oranges, right? It just doesn't happen. It shows the the arrogance, the disdain for God in a person who, who then would think that they are beyond this principle, that they could sow evil, sow wickedness, and then expect to reap God's favor. Maybe they don't expect to reap God's favor, but they just simply expect to not pay any consequences for their actions. 
Paul warns that the Galatians and we can be misled. We can, we can start to think this way. We can think that what we do will have no impact in our lives, that we will not reap what we sow. The, the seeds that are sown, these, these are our actions. They're the seeds of our, you might say, our time and our talents and our treasure. They're the seeds of, of how we spend our, our time, how we spend our money, how we, how we fill our days, what we fill our, our minds with, what we fill our eyes with, what we fill our hands with. These are the seeds of our life, and we're planting them all the time, 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days a year. Or 66, is that right this year, leap year? 366. You don't get that day off. Um, he says that we're, we're always planting these things. That all our, our actions, we're, we're planting seeds. We're sowing seeds. We're doing things. And, and we're going to reap something. Every seed that goes in the ground is going to sprout up, and it's going to cause some sort of crop to, to, to grow. Kind of expands on this illustration in, in verse 8. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. It's not necessarily that the seeds are different. The seeds are the same. They're just the actions of our lives. It's, it's, but there are different fields that we can sow. And we can sow in two different fields. You can sow in the, the field of the flesh or the field of the Spirit. Specifically, he says the field of, of his own flesh. It's saying it's, just, it's a very prideful, personal thing. We sow either to the flesh or to the spirit. This takes us back to chapter 5, doesn't it? This contrast that Paul has been drawing between the flesh and the spirit. And so if you want to understand what does it mean to sow to the flesh, well, we just look back at chapter 5. We look at, at, at verses um, 19 through 21. The deeds of the flesh, to sow to the flesh is to sow to the deeds of uh, to, the, to the deeds of the flesh that he mentions here. So we put those in four categories, if you remember. We talked about the sins of, of sexual immorality. That's one place you can sow. The other ones we talked about were, were false religion. We also talked about conflict and competition in our, in our relationships. And we talked about sins of excess, sins of, of addiction. If we invest our lives in these things, if we give ourselves over, body and soul, to these practices, then we are sowing to the flesh. And Paul says, you will reap what you sow. And what is the outcome of the sowing to the flesh? What's he say? For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption or destruction. It's the word that Peter uses in 2 Peter 2.12 when he talks about the unrighteous and he says they will be destroyed in their destruction. It's primarily in reference to final judgment and the destruction that will come in the last days when Christ returns. And ironically, what is the crop that we will reap in that day? Revelation 14 uses this illustration. In, 14, in verse 14, the author writes, Then I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and sitting on the cloud was one like a son of man, having a golden crown on his head, and a sharp sickle in his hand, a sickle to do reaping. And another angel came out of the temple crying out with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, put in your sickle and reap, for the hour to reap has come, because the harvest of the earth is ripe. Then he who sat on the cloud swung his sickle over the earth, and the earth was reaped. And another sickle came, and another angel came out of the temple which is in heaven, and he also had a sharp sickle. Then another angel 
the one who has power over fire, came out from the altar. And he called out with a loud voice to him who had the sharp sickle, saying, Put in your sharp sickle and gather the clusters from the vine of the earth, because her grapes are ripe. So the angel swung his sickle to the earth and gathered the clusters from the vine of the earth and threw them into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trodden outside the city, and blood came out from the winepress up to the horses' bridles for a distance of 200 miles. It's a pretty dark, sober passage, isn't it? It's ironic to me to think that what is the harvest of sowing to the flesh? To put it somewhat graphically, it's that you will be harvested in the last day that the sickle of God's judgment will come and you'll be placed in the winepress of the wrath of God. To consistently sow to the flesh is to show that you are fleshly, that you are not a child of God. And so when the last day comes, that's when judgment comes. Those who sow to the flesh will reap final judgment. But they also will, will get tastes of that crop now, tastes of, of judgment and destruction now, if you were to pick up one of the seed packets, you might say, from, from verses 19 through 21, and you look at the back, and you know if it's, if it's in any of those four categories of sin, and you're thinking, well, if I sow to this, what's the crop that I'm going to get? And, and the seed packets of the flesh, they're just full of lies. They say, if you sow to the flesh, you're going, you're going to reap joy. You're going to reap happiness. You, everything in life is going to go well. You're going to have more money and, and, and more friends. It'll look like all the commercials on TV. This is what your life will be like. You'll be on the beach somewhere, and everything will be good. This is what the, the seed packets of the flesh say, and they're just they're full of lies. It's temptation because that's what they say they're going to give. Otherwise, no one would, would sow to the flesh. But in reality, if we sow to those things, we will reap destruction, corruption. It's it's this idea of, of decay. Our lives will not be filled with joy, it's not like we won't get any consequences. We will reap broken marriages and, and lost jobs and, and loss of friends and financial ruin and depression. Those who sow to the flesh are going to reap these things. You cannot, you, you can't mock God and, and sow to the flesh and expect that nothing is going to happen. That, that you're not going to reap the consequences of those things. It's foolish. Don't be deceived. God's not mocked. If you sow to those things, you're going to reap corruption and if you say not me i'm the exception i can plant corn and grow an apple tree i can sow to the flesh and i can avoid corruption now and i can avoid destruction later then again you just need to look back at verse 7 don't be deceived god is not mocked you cannot thumb your nose at god you can't turn your nose up at him in arrogance and think that you are the exception to the rule whatever a man sows that will he also reap in contrast, though, to the flesh, what's the other field? It's the field of the Spirit. Paul talks about sowing to the Spirit, and we return back to chapter 5 to understand what that means. What does it mean to sow to the Spirit? Verses 22 and 23, the, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. To sow to the Spirit is to sow to, in an effort to, to, to see the fruit of the Spirit grow in our lives. Again, it's the Spirit that's, that's doing these things, but we sow in our attitudes and our actions towards producing love. 
Not only that, but we, we invest ourselves in things that are going to produce that. How do we walk by the Spirit? We sow towards spending time in God's Word, towards, towards prayer, towards gathering with other believers. We sow towards the actions of last week. Do you remember the things that we saw last week? That if someone falls into sin, we're to restore them to the faith. That's sowing to the Spirit. We, we bear one, another, one another's burdens. That's sowing to the Spirit. We, we share with those who share the word with us. We, we give to the church. That's sowing to the Spirit. It says that if we invest, we, we invest in these things, he says, the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap, not corruption, but will reap eternal life. Eternal life. And the same is true as with the, seed, the, 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 the harvest of corruption, that it's, it's true both now and later. Specifically, most poignantly, it's, it's talking about in the age to come that we will receive eternal life, that when Christ returns and he, and he does bring that sickle and he separates the wheat from the tares, that we will be among the wheat and we will receive eternal life. Now, of course, Paul is not saying that you have to sow to the flesh or sow to the spirit, so therefore what you do determines your salvation, that, that you have to do good deeds to earn salvation. Wouldn't that be to contradict everything he said in chapters 3 and 4? We're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. We have emphasized that we're saved by grace, not by works. But it is to emphasize the corresponding truth that, that is this tension in Scripture that we have to hold on to. It's, it's that saying that we are saved by grace alone, but we're saved by faith alone, but the faith that saves is never alone. Or I read in a commentary by Phil Reichen this week, he, says it, he said this, Eternal life is a gift that is based on believing, not on doing. However, believers are doers. And although no one is ever saved by works, no one is ever saved without them either. No one is ever saved by works, but no one is ever saved without them either. And Scripture has no problem saying this, and that's why we deal with this, this tension. You look at Jesus, the difference between the sheep and the goats. It talks about the sheep and the goats. You who did things for me, who served me, and you who didn't. And I, I, I love the way that, that Keith Green and his little vignette on that, he sums it up in the song, and he says, the only difference between the sheep and the goats is what they did and didn't do. If you've ever heard it, it's, it's pretty good. Um, but the, the only difference is between what they did and didn't do. And so what we do is evidence of whether or not we are truly saved. It's not the means of our salvation, but it shows whether or not we have truly been saved. And so he, he doesn't have an issue with saying those who sow to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Again, because how do you produce the, word, the fruit of the Spirit? Is it produced by our own efforts. No, it's the fruit of the Spirit. You remember the illustration of, of the tomatoes from our garden. I hold them up and I say, look what I grew. And in actuality, that I didn't really grow this. The, the plant did it. it it's, it's got the roots. It's got the system. The, the plant produces it. But the fruit is evidence that, that the plant is alive. And so the fruit of the Spirit in our lives is, is evidence that the Spirit is working in us. And so if we would sow, if we would seek to cultivate the fruit of the Spirit, then it will blossom in our lives and it shows that we will then reap eternal life. So eternal life is, is the life to come. But it is also one that we will experience now. 
you'll remember after Jesus talked to the rich young ruler, and then the rich young ruler walked away because he had many things, and Jesus had told him to sell everything. You remember what, what Peter says? He pointed out the fact that, that he and the disciples had left everything to come and follow Jesus. And what does Jesus say in Luke 18, 29-30? He says, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. So, there is fruit that we experience now. There is life that we experience now. The seeds of the Spirit, they promise joy in life, and they produce what they say they will. If you look at the back of the seed packets of, of sowing to the Spirit, it produces what it says it will, that, that we, will, we will find true joy and true satisfaction and true happiness and true understanding of why we have been placed on this earth if we would sow to the Spirit. The life of walking in the Spirit is where true peace and lasting joy comes from. So just kind of to sum up these, these two verses in this principle that we will reap what we sow. There's some different categories of people that I think are probably here this morning. You may be here thinking that, that you can trick God, that you've got some sort of hybrid seed, that you can sort of... You can plant to the flesh, but in the end, you're going to reap this beautiful crop of eternal life. And Paul says, do not be deceived. Don't turn your nose up at God. If you sow to the flesh, you will reap corruption. Maybe you're here this morning, you're experiencing that. You're experiencing the fruit of corruption even now. Your your mind is filled with conviction. You are facing possibly de depression, even your physical body, to, to do these, to, to follow the, the, the deeds of the flesh, it, it deteriorates even our physical bodies. And if you're enslaved to sin, you're bound for destruction, then Jesus is your hope. He doesn't say, don't be deceived, God is not mocked, and there's no way out of it. You've sown to the flesh, and now you're bound to reap corruption. There is hope. He calls you to repent of your deeds of the flesh. He calls you to repent from sowing in that field and he says to come and to have life, to find life in Christ through faith. Not by saying, well, I'm going to stop doing the deeds of the flesh. I'm going to try to do what's right. No, he says to repent and to believe that Jesus is your only hope in this life and in the world to come. He calls you out of the field of the world and into the field of the Spirit by faith. That's the only place where eternal life can come. But for those of us who have, have done that, who have placed our trust in, in Christ alone for salvation, it could be that, that you are discouraged this morning. And this is where Paul is really going to speak to our hearts, I think. You say, I, I've been working in this field forever, and I'm not seeing any of this crop that you are talking about. I'm sowing to the Spirit, but I don't see any of the benefits, all you have to show for it. You might think of yourself out in the field, and all you have are just calloused hands, and you're sunburned, and you say, the field is empty, it is dry out here, and I'm tired of sowing to the Spirit, because all the things that are supposed to be cropping up are not showing up. There is no fruit. Why am I continuing to do this? You may say that you are, you're honest, you're hardworking at your job, and you look around, and it's all the people that, that exhibit jealousy, and all the people that are backstabbing and the ones that aren't working hard, they're the ones that are getting promoted. And you say, oh, I'm doing what's right. I'm sowing to the Spirit. And everyone else is 
is getting ahead. This doesn't seem right. You guard yourself against sensuality, against excess, but you see all the people around you who are indulging in these things, and it seems like they're happy. They're joyful. They aren't reaping any of these consequences. You are practicing the spiritual disciplines. You're spending time in God's Word and in prayer. You come to church every week. You might even be sharing your faith, but you just don't feel like anything's sprouting up in this field. You're doing good works, but you don't see any fruit from your labor. It could be that you've even left the field of the Spirit. You're just kind of tossing some seeds into the field of the flesh because you're just seeing, well, maybe something will spring up here. I think Paul has an encouragement for all of us because we all get weary. It's a battle all the time to walk in the Spirit. We all get tired. And so Paul offers this great encouragement in verses 9 and 10, and he says, don't lose heart. That's the essence of the encouragement is don't lose heart. Christian, don't lose heart. Let's read these verses. Let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. So then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Paul says that in all of our sowing to the Spirit, in all of our efforts and desires to walk in the Spirit and to be filled with the Spirit, we cannot lose heart. We cannot lose our enthusiasm. We cannot become discouraged. We have to continue to do good. Doing good. That's just the general summary that Paul gives for everything that he's been talking about. All the fruits of the Spirit, all the things that we read in in verses um, 1 through 6 of this chapter about bearing one another's burdens. It's just, it's doing good. Doing good to one another and walking in the way, sowing to the Spirit. To do good is to fulfill the law of Christ. The law of Christ is to love one another. To do good is, is to love God. Whatever that that field looks like, whatever we're to sow and how we're supposed to invest our energies in these things, we cannot lose heart in doing it. There's this lie that we're susceptible to, and I've just really been thinking about this, especially as we've gone through chapters 5 and 6, and, and it's, that, it's that growth in godliness, sanctification, the walk of the Christian life gets easier. Or that there's like some sort of trick now, I'll be honest, you know, as we came into Galatians 5, it was like I was looking for something new. What's, what's this second level that we can get to in our, in our walk? And there's people that will tell you, you know, if you, if you would read this book, or if you would listen to this pastor, or if you would have this spiritual experience, then, then you're not gonna, it's not gonna be hard anymore to walk in the Spirit. It's just gonna, just gonna do it. The Spirit will, will yield fruit in your life, and it's, it's not gonna be, a daily battle. It eliminates this need of going into the field every day and sowing seed. But the reality is that the, the higher plane where we only desire to sow to the Spirit, this, this place where we will never grow weary, this, this place where all we do is sow to the Spirit is heaven. And we're not going to experience that now. Until then, the only way to walk in the Spirit is to wake up every morning and to go to the field and plant to the Spirit. So wake up every morning and to make your heart happy in God's Word, as George Mueller says. To get in God's Word until we see the truth, to get on our knees and ask God to help us to walk in the Spirit. And not just at the beginning of the week, but at the beginning of every day. And throughout the day, it's, it's to walk in the way of God's love, even when everyone around us is filled 
with hate. It's to, it's to open our mouths and to speak the truth of the gospel, even when everyone else laughs at us. It's, it, it just doesn't get any easier. I would like my kitchen to always be clean. I think the kitchen is the hardest room in the house to keep clean. Would you guys agree with that? I don't want a dishwasher. I mean, I want a dishwasher, but I would also like to have a dishwasher loader. You know, like I can just put my plates on some conveyor belt when we're done with dinner, and it goes into the kitchen, loads it up, starts it up, and everything's done. I mean, the kitchen is its hard work to keep the kitchen clean. We're in this, you know, always ready for the baby mode right now, and so I've been trying to to do my part to just make sure the house is, is in order. So if something happens in the middle of the night, we're ready to go. And and so every night I've been trying to keep the kitchen clean. And I told Andrew the other night, I'm tired of doing this. I don't want to do this anymore. But you have to. You can't let the pots and pans sit out because then they get all crusty and then they're just harder to clean. And you can't not empty the dishwasher because then in the morning when you have dirty dishes, there's nowhere to put them. And so you got to put them on the counter and things pile up. But if, if you keep on top of things, if you just keep going with it, then the kitchen stays fairly clean. It's... You can do it, but you just have to keep on keeping on. It's it's not glamorous, but it's just reality. So, if you would permit the illustration, sanctification is like cleaning the kitchen. And there is no rest for the weary. But there is encouragement. You have to keep fighting. you got to go to the field every day, every day, and plant. I think for those of us who maybe have been Christians for a long time, sometimes we say, you know, I planted a lot of stuff three, four, five years ago. I'm just going to wait till that crops up. Can't do that. We've got to plant every day. We've got to get in the field every day. And so if, 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 you've, if you've just waned in things, you've got you to get back out there. And so there's this encouragement, though, that, that if we continue on, if we... If we sow in the field of the Spirit, we will reap a harvest. The law of sowing and reaping doesn't just apply to sowing to the flesh, that those who sow to the flesh will reap corruption. But those who sow to the Spirit will reap eternal life. We will have even tastes of that harvest now. If, if, if we went out, if we had a church outing and we all went out and we picked strawberries together, we would all pick strawberries and we'd have a big harvest at the end. But I know that all of us at some point would take one and, and take a bite of it before we put it into the basket. Well, not before, but you know, just eat it and then throw it on the ground. But th- there's tastes of that. When, when we're in this harvest, we, we get to taste some of the fruit. Now, we will get to taste it fully later, but but there is there is joy. We, we receive this. He says it right here. Let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. So we just have to keep keep planting. We have to keep planting. He says, in due time, we will reap. Now, we don't know what that due time is. You know, if you look at the back of a seed packet, it'll tell you how long it takes for the fruit to come, you know, this number of days. I don't know when due time is as we sow to the Spirit. And it could be that you only get a few tastes of all the things that you've sown, but one day in due time, you will reap if you do not grow weary. We can rest. We can keep on keeping on. We know that our work is not in vain. It's an encouragement. It's also a warning, though. It's a warning to continue in the faith, to continue doing good, because if we do not continue to do good, if we grow weary, then it reveals that our heart has been unchanged by the gospel. You know, I think this passage applies to the 
to the whole church in a couple different ways. First, we could say in verses 9 and 10, look how he says, he says, let us not lose heart. What, and he uses phrases like we and, and, and us. This is something that, that we are doing together. We strive together to not grow weary. We must encourage one another on the way. We have to remind each other that the harvest is coming. When someone gets tired in the field, we have to come along and say, I know you're not seeing any crop right now, but you're doing what is right. And, and God has promised that if you sow to the Spirit, you will reap. Whether you reap now or later, it's going to happen. God is just. God is good. You will reap if you sow in the right field. And so I think the, the final encouragement from Hebrews 10 is just such a great parallel. Hebrews 10, verses 24 and 25 says this. This is an application of how we can not grow. He says, let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. So we have to encourage one another to love and good deeds. Not forsaking our own assembling together. That's the context of that. You don't come to church just to come to church. You don't come to church to make God happy with you. You come to church so that other people can come alongside you when you're weary and say, you've got to keep, got to keep going. You've got to keep going in love and good deeds. Keep, keep doing this because the, the fruit will come, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near, that, that day that is coming. And we're going to see that a little bit more in, in verse 10 here. I think the other way it applies to us as a church is, is that we as a church cannot grow weary and well-doing. There's a lot of churches in Louisville, if you're not aware. Uh, there's a lot of churches that are doing good things. There's a lot of churches that are doing the exact same kind of stuff that, that we're trying to do, maybe on a smaller scale because we're smaller. can't grow weary. can't grow weary if, if we don't see immediate fruit. You know, as we pray for the community and we think about things that we might do, we might go out and try to do good in the community and not see any fruit. And then we might do it again and we won't see any fruit. can't grow weary to keep moving as a church, knowing that if we do what God has called us to do as a church, we will reap a harvest, whether we see it now or we see it later. Whether we invest in people and they leave to go do other ministries elsewhere, or whether we invest in people and they stay here to continue in this ministry. We will reap if we do what God has called us to do. And so then, just kind of as we kind of draw to a close, verse 10 here, uh, Paul expands on this idea of doing good from verse 10, and he nuances it, and I just want to say three different ways. So we're not to grow weary, we're to, to do good. And the first thing he says is, is do good while you still can. Do good while you still can. So then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people. I think it could refer to as opportunities arise, but I think it more has in view that, that the end is coming. There, there's a time to do good. My father-in-law is a uh, farm manager, so I've learned a lot about planting of crops and things like that. He manages farms for those who own a farm but do not necessarily do the work themselves. They hire it out to other folks. But a lot of times when planting season comes around, maybe, maybe there's been just a ton of rain. It just keeps raining and it won't stop raining and when it's raining like that there's no opportunity to plant the crop and there's this window you you have to plant the crop at a certain time if you want it to come to maturity at, at harvest time and there's only a certain period of time that you can plant the crop and so you have to decide what, when are we putting the seed in the ground there's only a certain window that that can happen for the, for it to grow the way that it's supposed to and i think that's what paul is encouraging us with here he says that there's a there's a there's a window of planting, and it's it's now. While we have opportunity, before the time is too late, before Christ returns, and, and our opportunity to do good is 
is gone. We have to do good now because the harvest is coming. We don't know when it's going to be, but we know when planting season is, and it's from now until Jesus returns or we drop dead. And we have to keep planting right now while there's opportunity. We can't say, well, I'm going to wait for another opportunity. I'm going to postpone. No, planting season is now because we don't know if tomorrow there will be an opportunity to plant. So do good while you still can. The second thing is do good to all people. So then while we have opportunity, let's do good to all people. The things that we plant are the good deeds that we do, the, the way we invest our lives, and we do good to, to all people. The fruit of the Spirit is something that blossoms in our lives, but it's also something that we intentionally can seek after. And one of the ways we seek after it is doing good to all people, to everyone. I think that's one of the hearts behind as we as we pray for our community is if you if you're in signed up and you get ready to pray and you say I don't know what I'm supposed to pray for, one of the things you can pray is how can we do good to this community? I think that's after God's heart. What can we do to bless this community? To show the fruit of the spirit? To show who Christ is? To show the kindness of God to the people that are around us? What can we do? And we need to be intentional about it. And and it's. It sounds so easy to do, but it's 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 hard to do good to all people, even if it's something simple. I'll share an illustration from from this week. I don't say this to in any prideful way, but we were we were um, we made some cookies on on Thursday night and just decided let's take some to our neighbors. So we doubled our batch of cookies and tried to take some plates to the neighbors. And I'll tell you, what, it was hard. You know, you think delivering cookies would be something easy to do, but it gets it gets later and the kids need to go to bed and then. I don't really want to go up to this door. You know, we had someone come out of their door as we were heading to the door thinking that we were coming to complain about something. We said, no, we just wanted to give you some cookies. You know, we're trying to do good to all people. And and it was one of those things where it's like the idea came into my head, and I knew this would be good. This would be good to do. I can't tell you how many times those ideas have come into my head, and then I've not done it. I, I miss the opportunity. we got to fight, though, to, to plant that seed, to go out and to just to do good. To do practical, simple things like that. And then also just, just kind things throughout our day that we are bearing the fruit of the Spirit. We're doing good to all people. We don't separate and say, well, I'm going to do good to these people, but not to these people. I'm going to be nice to the people in my house, but not to my coworkers. We do good to all people. We seek opportunities to do that. And when they come into our mind, as God gives us opportunity, we, we run out into the field and we got to plant the seed. Sometimes the ground is hard, and you got to dig and get in there and do it. So we do good to all people, and then finally, we do good to our brothers and sisters in Christ. So then while we have opportunity, let's do good to all people, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. I need to do good. I need to be kind to all of the kids in my neighborhood, but I'm specifically kind to my children because they're in my family. I think that makes sense, doesn't it? So this is our family. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. And so we do good to all people, but there's a special kindness that we do to those who are our brothers and sisters in Christ. We made cookies and we took some to our neighbors, but I packed up a big box and sent them to my friend Nate in Minneapolis. Why? Because he's my brother. He's my brother in Christ, and I want to bless him. That doesn't mean we're just we're nicer to those, but there is there's this there's this idea that we want to be kind to all people. We can't be kind to all people in the same way. But th this is our family, and we love one another in a unique way. 
We do the things of, of chapter 6 where we pull one another out of sin and we bear one another's burdens and we give to the needs of the church. So it just makes sense that we would do good to our brothers and sisters in Christ. So I pray this is an encouraging, a challenging passage. It's very practical. One of the practical things I would say on this last idea of doing good is think of something that you can do that would be good for all people and that would be good for your brothers and sisters in Christ. What's something practical this week? Or maybe if you need two weeks, that's cool. Take two weeks and say, here's something good, something kind, something loving that I want to do for all people, for, for my neighbor for someone who is not a believer, that might open up a door for me to share the gospel with them, for my co-workers, um, for, for the people that are in line with me at the grocery store, or whatever it might be, that you're going to do something good. What is that specific thing that you could do? And if God gives you an idea to do it, then do it. Get out in the field and plant that seed. And then maybe what's something good that you can do for your brothers and sisters in Christ? What's something that we could do for one another? To think of a family that you could bless because they are your family. So again, the summary, I think, is since we will reap what we sow, in light of the fact that there is this principle of sowing and reaping, since that is true, let's not grow weary in doing good. Here's some closing questions. Are you deceived? Are you mocking God? Turning your nose up? Do you think that you can sow in the field of the flesh and not reap the consequences? If so, you, you are deceived. Whatever someone sows, that's what they're going to reap. If you're sowing to the deeds of the flesh, you will reap corruption. It's a law. Have you grown weary? Are you just tired? You've been planting for so long and it feels like, I, I just don't want to plant anymore. Don't grow weary. Don't grow weary because... If, if we will do this, Jesus says, or the, God says through the word, let us not lose heart in due time. We will reap if we do not grow weary. You will reap. If you, if you are sowing in a way, if you are spending time in God's word and in prayer, if you are seeking the fruit of the Spirit in your life, if you are seeking to do good, there will be a harvest that will come. And you may not see as much fruit now as you want to see, but know that you will reap a harvest in the end. So if you've grown weary, I just, as a brother in Christ, want to encourage you, don't lose heart. Don't lose heart in doing good because you will reap if you don't grow weary. And so our, and another question would be, are you doing good? Are there opportunities that you have to do good to all people and to do good to your brothers and sisters in Christ? And if there are, then I would encourage you to take them, to get into the field and plant those things Dig up the ground and plant to the Spirit because you will reap. Let's close in prayer together. Then we'll sing our song and have our moment of silence to end. But let's pray. Father, this truth is it's both sobering and encouraging. This week we have all, in many ways, sown to the flesh. And in your mercy, we have not reaped all the consequences that we could or should. So we thank you for your grace in that. I pray if there are those here that are just continually in that field, that you would wake them up, Lord, that they would see they cannot be deceived. Lord, if they are not, 
not put their faith in you alone for salvation, that you would awaken them to that truth, help them to see that you will change them by the power of the Holy Spirit, make them your child so they can walk in your ways. And Lord, if there are those that are believers here and are sowing in the field of the flesh, Lord, I pray that this would just be a, a wake-up call to say this is foolishness. I, I, I can't cheat God. I can't mock Him. I'm not going to get away with this. Lord, and then those of us who are discouraged, we've just grown weary. There's things that we used to love to do when we were following after you, and now we've just forgotten about them. And so, Lord, with renewed zeal with our brothers and sisters gathered around us and your Holy Spirit within us, we say that we're going to sow to the Spirit. We're going to seek to do good to all people. We're going to seek to do good to those who are of the household of faith, not by our own strength, but by the strength of your Spirit and for your glory. But thank you for this encouragement. Thank you that we know that however long we spend in this field sowing, that one day we will reap. That we may reap a little bit now, but one day, Lord, we will reap eternal life. And that is where true joy is. Thank you for the hope that we have because of Jesus. We pray all this in his name. Amen.